Welcome to the Digital Void Podcast, where we bring people together to explore the gap in common understanding of digital culture, media, and technology. This is a space to discuss strategies for navigating our rapidly evolving digital environment. We're all here learning together. We host these conversations every Wednesday night, and we'd love for you to join us. Head on over to digitalvoid.media to find links to our social media channels, including our YouTube channel, where you can subscribe and be alerted when we are live every Wednesday night. In our hypermediated digital environment, what are ways that we can create meaningful digital community focused on deep reading? ReadUp CEO and co-founder Bill Loundy is working on building the solution. He's passionate about reading and its many benefits, from increased empathy to greater focus and even better sleep. He's working to make sure everyone practices deep reading, because he believes the most popular social media platforms are working against our collective human interest. Social media as it currently exists, not only does it not help you to read, it prevents you from being able to read. Mm -hmm. Bill and Dr. Jamie Cohen discuss how ReadUp is working to build a community that centers reading at the core of its values and how a social media platform can successfully scale while maintaining the qualities that made it special while it was still small. This conversation was recorded on Wednesday, April 29th. You can read more about Bill at BillLoundy.com and check out ReadUp at ReadUp.com. Bill, thank you for being here. Really glad to have you here and glad to talk to you about this. Yeah. So first, uh, I, the, your your app ReadUp is right in my passionate wheelhouse. I, I'm an avid reader. I've been reading since I was like in uh, second grade. I think I got like the top reader award. And <laughs> one of the things that really was like fascinating about ReadUp that I was really impressed about is uh, the, the desire that makes sure that you can't really be part of the secondary part of the conversation, the communication, the comment, until you've gotten through the article. So it encourages us to, to do more than just read, so to speak. It makes us want to go through the text and actually understand it. So I just want to know, like, the first question is how you got to now? What brought you to make an, a reading app before we get into more of the specific details? Let's, let's hear, hear a little bit yeah, about that. Yeah, totally. And thanks for having me. This is, uh, this is fun and nerve-wracking and exciting. This is not something that I normally do, um, but I love talking about what I do. It's been my passion for three years. Um, I started ReadUp with my best friend, who's been my friend since preschool. Um, so we um, have literally been hanging out for as long as I can remember. Um, and went through like all of our major life milestones together. Um, I studied English at Stanford. I've also been a, a reader for my entire life. I grew up with books. It's always been my my escape, my passion, how I figure out what's going on in the world. Um, my co-founder um, dropped out of college after his first year and taught himself how to code. So, um, you know, I sort of am the, uh, the literary side of the equation and he's the technical guy. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, the, the idea was born out of a frustration with the internet and with social media. And we could probably spend this entire time just talking about that. Um, but uh, like you said before, um, non-reading is an issue. And I'll, I'll actually sort of develop that thought a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I think that the singular biggest problem with the web right now um, and it's, 
it's pervasive and widespread. And one of those things that's like such a huge crisis right in front of our face that sometimes it's hard to even see is that social media as it currently exists, not only does it not help you to read, it prevents you from being able to read. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I saw, for example, a, a tweet recently that said something about reading on Twitter. And I was legitimately confused. I was like, this is not reading. You know, this, this is a different type of behavior. Um, reading is when you stick with the text. You know, if, if you don't get, uh, you know, up to five, 10, 15 minutes with an individual text, your brain is not doing what it is, um, you know, sort of widely referred to as deep reading and where there's actually like special things going on. So creativity, empathy, short and long-term memory, um, obviously comprehension, like all of these very important benefits to reading, um, you know, the, the magic of sitting down with a book, basically, um, that's virtually impossible online right now. And that's a crisis. That's a, that's a real problem. And I think everyone kind of experiences this in their own way. Um, to the point that you made before, um, civil discourse is also a problem because people just talk about things that they haven't read. Um, and that's the idea that kicked off this whole project. So I called up Jeff one day and, and we've traded business ideas. We actually, um, in high school, we co-owned an umbrella rental stand on the beach on the Jersey shore. We've mined Bitcoin together. Um, he, he, uh, at, during a very interesting period in our lives, uh, bought my late grandmother's laundromat and ran it for a little, like, so we've done a lot of like crazy stuff together, but we've, uh, we've never started a tech company full on. And we've always talked about it. So one day I called him and was like, homie, we could fix the internet if we figured out a way to determine who has actually read a given piece of content. And that seems like a solvable technical problem. We can, you know, use whatever data is at our disposal or generate new data if we need it. But if I have read something and you have not, I don't want to talk to you about it. And I want to talk to the other people who have read whatever it is. It could be an article in the New York Times. It could be a blog post. Um, and even something as short as five or 10 minutes, but especially if it's like a 45 minute, you know, feature in The Economist. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the idea that kicked it off about three years ago. It took us a year in stealth mode just to invent that tracking technology. Right. Um, and then we've just pivoted a ton in that time. But it's always built around this, this same core technology, which can determine whether or not a person has really read an article. I love it. So I started, you promised me you were going to interrupt my long answers. I was absolutely <laughs> impressed by the style of reading when I started using the app because it was yeah, cool. First, first I was like scrolling. I'm a I'm a quick. One of the things about doing a PhD is you learn how to read differently. Like you you totally. you kind of go through and you start reading. I like there's so, the comprehensive exams require you to read so many books, and so you can read them, you can ingest them quickly. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you're reading them. You're getting the point. You're getting the access to it. But you're getting enough of the solid parts of the discussion that you could incorporate that into uh, a discourse, so to speak. Totally. But what I, I have to agree with you, uh, being coming from a media literacy background or a digital media literacy background, there's been this very, very large tension that's happened since social media has occurred, which is what is reading? What does it mean totally. to have this space actually communicating? Because there's always this fight between like, are students or young people reading more because there's more text and they're consuming more or are they actually reading in the terms of what you describe it as, as in like 
in actually understanding the words and turning it into text because we're not born with literacy. You have to learn literacy and reading changes as you grow. Totally. So, I, I, so my, my experience with this is I didn't even understand it myself. You know, and, and like I said before, I've been a reader and writer for my entire life. Um, and when we first built this technology, the very first thing we did was share it with our friends and family via a Chrome extension. Um, and it was able to show me when I was finishing articles. And it was insane what the results looked like. I would have told you, and this was about two years ago, I would have told you that I'm at least finishing a dozen or so articles per week. What I found out was that I'm looking at hundreds. And again, I, I like have this idea that I'm above the curve or something like that. Like I, you know, focus on reading. I would have called myself a reader for sure. And building this technology was such an insane dose of personal truth serum where all of a sudden I was looking at my own results and it was despicable man like really bad i mean and i just and that was like that was sort of almost maybe an even bigger light bulb than the initial idea because we realized you know this isn't just about like protecting conversation that's an important element of the business still but sure. first and foremost we are on a quest to save reading it is dead online right now. And, and I, I sometimes use like, you know, <laughs> verbose language to describe this. There are people who finish New Yorker articles online. I don't know how they manage to do it because even there, there's just like even on the best platforms. And even if you're paying for a premium subscription, you're still getting distractions. Right. And so, you know, it, it was like seeing like, you know, a, a patient dying on the bed and just realizing this is bigger than we realized. Reading is threatened. And then once we started going down that rabbit hole, I mean, we we're hearing from teachers and lawyers, like everyone all over the place. And they're saying like, oh, we're noticing this for sure. Oh, yeah. People There's... can't pay attention anymore. Like that's, that's, I can't think of anything more dystopian. Than oh, I agree. Writing. There's so there's about the idea of comprehension is what you're you're, what you're alluding to and it, just to give you my secret of how I read New Yorker articles I use an, <laughs> an app called Autumn which reads them to me because uh, I learned how to listen to my reading because I took long commutes to my courses so yeah I yeah. got through grad school by listening to it and that's how I read for the most part but I also I fall into the trap like as somebody who reads a lot. I still fell into the trap still to this day. Like I'll read an article yeah. and about three fourths of the way through, I feel excited. I'm like, I got to share this. I got to talk. I got to share this on Twitter. And I have to fight myself and say, <laughs> yeah, get to the end before, <laughs> before yeah. you feel excited to do that. And yeah, so totally. it was interesting. It was almost fulfilling to see the, the, the percentage being like, you're not done yet. Like don't, totally. don't include this in the discourse yet. There could be more. Totally. Totally. And it's a, it's a personal thing too. I mean, I read, all different kinds of things in different ways. And, and I, don't, I don't think that there's not a time and a place for skimming and scanning and just sure. you know, quickly going oh, through yeah. and finding the information that you need. What ReadUp enables and empowers is a, a, a completely different type of reading, which is where you sit and take it word by word and it's not object oriented you know you're not trying to get through it for mm -hmm. any particular reason it requires a technology that literally like yanks you out of the brain space that's just frantic and crazy and distracted um 
just as a reminder here, I, I, I sometimes hesitate to say this because it's, it's so profoundly obvious and everyone already knows it, but I, I, it's still worth like just clarifying and remembering Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, all like just all the platforms, they exist with a mission to distract you, to oh, yeah. get you looking at ads. So when you read, they make no money. And when you are stuck in your feed and doing this, like, you know, all of these random twitchy behaviors, that's what they want you doing. So mm -hmm. it's not an accident that people fall into that behavior. And um, I, I first got on Facebook when I was in college. Uh, and I actually was like one of the early people to get on there. Um, and I, I felt it when it was happening, um, but it was hard. I, from very early on, I just remember the experience of falling into a really like dark place where I lost track of time and I was just doing this thing. And then like, f there's so much to talk about with the, the superficiality and, and, you know, what it turns us into, but I'm just talking specifically about the way that the engine works to get you looking at ads. It addicts you. And then you like, you wake up and all of a sudden it's like three o'clock in the morning That's and you're right. like, yeah. Where the hell have I been for the last five hours? That's by design. Was I it, doing? It's not just it's not just the superficiality of it. By design, and this is not a secret either. Both YouTube, Facebook, both and triple uh, Twitter prioritize time spent because time spent in analytics is really designed specifically, like you said, for consumption of advertising that's either yeah. embedded or passively consumed as it goes down the feed. And the feed yeah. itself, as Nick Carr calls it, is the shallows. You know, it's designed specifically yeah. to activate a, a stimulus of your brain. So you feel, it, it tells your body that you're consuming a lot yeah. of material, but it really isn't like the way they refer to it is it's like, it's not lifting any muscles. It's just simply doing something. Yeah. And that, the exercise of reading is a never ending process. It is yeah. a art to, a, a, to an extent of actually rereading, learning, yeah. and then actually like knowing how to see a sentence for what it actually means yeah. or what words mean is something that do, social media platforms don't, you're right, absolutely right. They do not want you to do that because yeah. if you did that, you might start critically thinking about the platform. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> well, so yeah. And the, the the hurdle and like the what we're struggling with at, at ReadUp right now is just getting people to read their first article because the we don't have to addict people we don't even we're not able to do that we don't we're not motivated to do that but when you read a thirty or forty minute article it feel like you said it feels healthy and fulfilling and I actually have this sense of like really intense accomplishment when it's done, you know, like, and, and I, for example, this morning I read three pieces, every single, like I, one before breakfast, one after breakfast, every time it was just like there, I didn't have that dark, weird, bad, negative. I wasted my time feeling. Right. I had the opposite, which is, I can't believe how awesome I am. You know, I like, right. I squeezed in an article and it's like, yeah. barely off. And it's like, it's so good for you. It just, it feels like going for a run or something like that. You've got a really good point there about motivation too. Like the same as like trying to do yoga every day. I, it's one of those, I know it'll make my day better, but <laughs> totally. to motivate myself to do it, like is yeah. to do it. And, and they always, and this in the pandemic era, like we really do talk about what ways to make our brain healthier. And people say, spend at least 10 minutes reading, spend at least 10 minutes doing this. And it, 
it's not, a, it's not superficial advice. It's yeah. advice to make your brain actually work in a more positive manner. It rewires yeah. it. And that's like what I always bring up with, with students is like, how much did, do you recall? Because if you're superficially scanning, you yeah. see it and you can remember it, but you don't actually recall it. So it's, it yeah. does actually help your brain create new neural pathways that tell you, it actually is like one of those rewarding things because you could say to yourself, I did learn something. And that's yeah, kind of a nice totally. thing. I, so I really think the most there, important but, thing is that you don't need to tell yourself that right. though. You know, like it's, it's the same thing after a yoga class or a run, like, you don't need to give yourself the pat on the back. It just, it's like there, you know, and, and there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's special. And, and it also, um, there have been, um, I mean, more than just there have been, I can off the top of my head, think of dozens of articles that I've read on read up. And this is new. I couldn't do this a few years ago before I started using the, you know, platform and company that I built stories that literally changed my life. Mm -hmm. And it sounds really, you know, cliche or, you know, kind of hallmarky. Um, but I'm telling you, man, like just stuff that is like where when I finished reading, this is what readers, you know, we live for this right. kind of experience. You know, I've had, I can think of like when I first read, um, and several examples, but David Fo Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace or Toni Morrison, like anything by Toni Morrison. Like I, like it just did crazy things to me. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I used to think, oh, that's only books can do that. But now I can actually refer back over the course of the last year. And I remember um, a piece by Jonathan Franzen in The New Yorker. And it was just like, I, I read it and I was like, this, this was insane. Like this, and, and then I had to start it, like just read it again, you know? Yeah, like, it's, it's the discussion you have in there too. So there's two points I want to bring up is one is that one is the changing of the life. Let's start with that one. I, I was in the process of writing my very large paper for my course. And I read an article about John DeLorean in, I think it was in the okay. New Yorker and okay. it's a long form and I read it. And from reading it, it changed my life. I learned how to create a new framework. I learned how to, Right. I wanted to, I knew what yeah. I wanted to do then from that yeah. point forward. And it was one of those things where if I, I wish at that point I didn't know about read up, but if, had I known, yeah, it was really important for me to know that other people were reading it too. Yeah. So I, and yeah. I, it was such a good article that I read it twice and I was totally. like, oh my gosh, this is like exactly what people say yeah. when they're like, oh, it changes your life. Yeah. I'm so glad you just mentioned that because in addition to the, the, that just magical spark of reading something, sharing it, even if it's just one or two other people, that is also superhuman. So this morning I read uh, something by Nick Thompson from Wired, um, sent it to my dad. He also read it. And that was just like a crazy thing. It's, a, it's an article about fathers and sons. And it's like, I don't even, we'll talk soon about it, I'm sure. But it's just one of those things that's like, it's a shared experience and it's, it's powerful. And then because we both read it, it trended a little bit on read up enough for it to pick up some steam. Then it became the article of the day. Then a lot of people on read up saw it. Um, and a few more read it in their entirety. It's like a 40 something minute article. Um, and someone commented on one of my comments and I was just like, this sharing of literature with other people online, um, when you're an entrepreneur, you need to celebrate these small wins, but it's like, it's crazy. I, I mean, it's just, just to be like, that doesn't exist anywhere else online. You can, you can drop links on Twitter. You can drop links on Facebook all day. It's a completely different thing. 
to actually have this, um, you know, it's not, it's not about like proving what you read. It's just a, it's a more subtle accountability metric. And also just like, a, you know, it just, it matters. It's yeah, totally I read an article about really read it from a while ago yeah. <laughs> and there was a great there's in there is an embedded tweet that is almost a meme at this point. Yeah. People who comment on an article and then the author goes, I'm the one that wrote it. Yeah. Like it's very clear that they didn't even totally. know who wrote totally. it, they read it because they're superficially either scanning the lead or they're reading the abstract or they're just simply getting the article's point from other people's comments without gaining the knowledge of the, the text. Yeah. And so that actually was like fantastic to see it fights that it pushes yeah. back against that. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, I have to say, like, I, I used to think that, um, that that behavior was like the downfall of the world. And I processed a lot of personal anger over the course of the last year. And I think that now I've, I've since softened on that, you know, like I, and we can talk about social media. I have a lot to say about like the role that these platforms play in our lives, but you know, I, my personal approach is I just want to build something better. You know, like mm -hmm. I, I know they, they exist, they serve a different purpose. There are like lots of different places and things that you can interact with, but um, you know, maybe there is a reason that just quick, quick banter, for example, on sure. Twitter about headlines and about ideas there, that's fine. You know, like in, in 2009, Virginia Hepperton actually wrote a New York Times article for an essay in a, a section called the Medium at the time called Comment is King. And it was just before I started the new media program. So this was like a okay. part of my pre-research. And I, yep. I was fascinated by comments at that point. I'm a very, like you, you were an early adopter to Facebook. I was a very yep. late bloomer in you, in the internet. I thought okay. the internet was going to be a phase. <laughs> so <laughs> when Facebook came out, I was just like, oh, whatever. And then MySpace, I was like, do whatever. And then finally around 2006 or seven, my friends actually became somewhat famous making a web series. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a thing. Yeah. And so I started becoming a very intense reader of commentary on the internet. And Heffernan's essay, The Comment is King, writes about this very interesting thing about social media itself, that commenters have the stamina, drive, and spare time to be part of online journalism. And that was yeah. the fascinating part, was that online journalism requires them to be part of it because online journalism is different than journalism because it, the, the conversation itself helps shape future articles. It helps shape how things are written for an audience. And she was writing it in terms of like, well, they, they have the stamina where a journalist has to go through all the work. And then all of a sudden you get like destroyed by these commenters who <laughs> yeah. just fill up. And then you're yeah. missing that one every five comments or so is a really substantive piece totally. of, of comment. And that's, I think, what, what ReadUp does is very interesting because it, it's a response to Heffernan's article, which is that what if you removed all the noise and you just yeah, had totally. this, like, the signal coming in? Yeah. It's a, and by the way, that's a metaphor for the world right now. Like I, I just feel like more and more there's just speed is picking up and noise and I have to remind myself not to curse. BS is just everywhere. You know, it's just like there's, uh, there's more and more tendency to just say something now. And it's, and it's, you know, it's not, I don't think it's productive. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it accomplishes as much as listening, but also at the same time, if you snooze, you lose, you know, like if you're not a part of the conversation. So to keep up with everything, you have to play this game, you know, to the best of your ability. 
So um, let, me, let me ask you a question about that. Do yeah. you feel that it's okay to see people find articles from the from the past, something that doesn't isn't part of the heat that's going on in the common discourse? Do you do you encourage people getting access to maybe two weeks, several months old articles and being like, yeah, I want to share this with Rita? Are you kidding me? I think it's like the most important thing in the world. That's the easiest question of all time. It's like <laughs> I, I think people need to stop looking at what's going on right now. It's all it's all noise. Like there's that writing takes time. Writers mm -hmm. know that. The ideal situation is that we all like move offline and just read books. Like I, I really think that that would enhance our existence. I learned so much more from books and long form articles that are from the past. I love reading old stuff. And by the way, when old stuff trends on read up, we're all over it. I mean, oh. people go wild for it because we know that it's juicy and, and meaningful. And there's yeah. like, it, I'm, I'm actually quite skeptical. Like anything that's been published recently, I usually have to remind myself like, this needs time to simmer, you know, this needs like, oh, this needs time to actually see if it's like going to be worthwhile. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I fall prey to that stuff too. It's, yeah, I mean, there's, I think, but it, it answers itself. The fact that social media itself requires us to be part of the, the heat or the moment kind yeah. of pushes us towards like, don't let it get stale. Let's talk about it this moment. But I, I do like knowing that there's a community that that exists that that talks about the deeper ways of understanding media that may have been out beforehand. Yeah, totally. And um, <clears throat> yeah, so so I have a kind of a unique experience with with social media specifically. Um, you share. briefly mentioned before, but I, I haven't had a smartphone in, in five years. So my my mobile device is a flip phone. Um, I love this thing. It <laughs> really had a profoundly positive impact on my life. And in addition to that, um, at the beginning of 2019, um, actually for about three or four years, I unplugged from everything, like hardcore, mm -hmm pulled the plug on every single social media platform that I was on. And like even the stuff that's a lot of people don't consider social media, um, like LinkedIn and stuff like that. I just, I undid all of it in my life. And it caused this massive stream of like, you know, effects basically um, that changed the way I live. In addition to that, I moved onto an RV on a truck and I drove all across the country for a full year. Um, I had no GPS. I had no way to take photos. Um, I was literally living what would be like an Instagrammer's dream. I, my truck was yellow too. So like specifically, it was this like profoundly photogenic experience. And I was just by myself. I had a copy of Walden. So that was crucial. Um, and I, I read a lot of science fiction and I worked on read up from public libraries while I was driving all across the country. And it completely changed, I think, the way that my brain functioned. I mean, I I suddenly, like, I, I could feel and I noticed and I journaled like crazy that my, cons my drive to be a consumer was just falling, you know? Like, I no longer felt like I needed fancy clothes and things like that. And, and at the time, I wasn't, like, aware of exactly what was happening. You know, I was just, like, experiencing it and just living it. But I just everything in my existence was slowing down. You know, I, I woke up when the sun came up and I went to bed when the sun went down. And it was very much like a, you know, a, a, a spiritual endeavor as well as um, 
I just needed a break from technology. And, f- and for a few years before that, I, I worked at a gas station in rural Vermont. So I had already begun this process of going from Silicon Valley tech guy to I'm done with all this noise. And it literally is, I'm still in the midst of figuring out what all of this did to me, what it means. And one week ago, I got back on everything, back on Facebook, back on um, Twitter. So so I'm like, my feelings on all of this stuff, really fresh right now. And frankly, like frightened, you know, like, like I, the, what I see when I log on to Twitter in the morning, I've also gotten very active on TikTok, which is like, just truly fascinating. I haven't gotten there yet. The craziest thing is that that I'm not experiencing the feelings that I was expecting to feel by any means. The main thing, and um, if I had to summarize it all, I'm, I'm still, you know, I'll change my mind again a million times. But at this point, I don't think there's any distinction at all between what we commonly refer to as social media and news journalism. I think it is one thing, literally down to like taking a picture of your uh, scrambled eggs in the morning and putting it online and a long form reported story from the New York Times. And I know that, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that they have something in common. I'm saying we should think about them as the exact same thing. They are social media. Social just means human to human. It doesn't mean friends, you know, and they are media and they are all one to many. There are different levels of, you know, kind of interference in between all of them. Perhaps, for example, a better way that we might think about one of many distinctions is corporate generated content and non-corporate generated content, you know, but, but again, even that gets really interesting because so many people are paid to like Instagram pictures oh, right. of themselves mm-hmm. in the mirror. And, mm-hmm. and I, I, in my time scrolling on, on Twitter specifically these last few days, it's shocking. It, and it's shocking and frightening. And I, I, when I look at it, I feel like we're, we're significantly deeper into dystopia than I initially realized. And I'm even more convinced read up's got to grow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's getting people to actually read is so much more urgent than I realized. And, you know, it renews my excitement to, to get this thing mainstream because yeah. it, it's urgent. I agree. Um, let me ask you one more question and Josh yeah, totally. has one too, and then uh, we'll, we'll move it on to Q and a, uh, but I do, I've been studying internet culture for a decade now and yep. Uh, I moved into studying a lot of like extremism as part as a result, like because I study memes. So there's yep. a lot of like places where, and I could trust me more than a dozen times have I been like, I've got to get off my smartphone and like yep. really just get to the text again. Uh, yep. Let me let me ask you one more before Josh comes in and let me talk yep. to you about um, the growth of the platform. Like yeah, totally. what happens, what, what's your goal? What do you want to see from the the outcome of the, I noticed that you answered once, get to the next zero. Like what's, what do you think of it? Like, how do you? Totally. Um, so we have had relatively linear growth over the course of two years. Right now, we have about 2,000 users on the platform, but several hundred of them are active every day. We have until, uh, by the way, my co-founder doesn't use social media at all either. Um, so I'm just getting back in the mix um, kind of uh, for experimental purposes and also desperation, frankly. I mean, I, I think we thought for a long time that we could build this thing outside of enemy territory. Now it's like suit up, 
get in there. That's where the people are and bring them over. There's no yeah. more time to like be an activist. I like, I'm, I'm ready to do anything that it takes to get people like over to read up literally down to like filming dance videos of myself on TikTok <laughs> and blogging about it because I think it's all relevant. It's all noise anyway. And I know that read up is, you know, it's an alternative that's really special. Um, the reason the growth is linear is because it was almost entirely recruit. Actually, it was entirely recruited by word of mouth. So it yeah. literally started with friends and family. Like, I, I mean, <laughs> parents, my parents, Jeff's parents, our siblings, our closest friends, like people that we knew, one off. And then when I was driving all over the country, met people at bookstores, met people at libraries, told, onboarded one or two people a day. And then they would tell some people, when I say that this thing feels like a family, I mean, it is like we know each other in there. It's cool. I mean, that's one of the things that I love about it. And, um, you know, for, for better, but mostly for worse, um, my co-founder and I have been hungry for growth, but not in a way that's like not humane, you know, like it's just a weird thing to describe. I don't think about scaling myself and scaling the platform as often as frankly, I probably should have. And, um, you know, at this point, we need to grow. We, we want millions of people on this thing. Right. We want to have a hockey stick, like yeah. kind of, you know, growth experience. And we want our, our, our ambition is that um, here's the superficial ambition. Three, five years from now, when people talk about social media and using the internet as a means of getting information, they say, oh, yeah, you can go online. You can use Facebook, Twitter, Reddit or read up. And ReadUp will be referred to as the place where there's more sanity, it's slower, there's reading, and it is the, the premium, paid, ad-free place where there's just a completely, I mean, you know this, Twitter vibe is different from Facebook vibe, mm -hmm. which is different yep, from Reddit environments. ReadUp is going to be right up there prime time. I don't think we're going to like knock the others out, obviously. there's And by the way, there should be many, many, many more companies that that all kind of, you know, create a more diffuse internet landscape. Um and then the longer ambition, and this is like 5, 10, 20 years out, is we should live in a world where language is respected. I think that it's really disturbing that nobody reads privacy policies in terms of use. I think it's really disturbing. I had a, <laughs> I got bit by a dog while I was traveling. I went to a clinic to get a tetanus shot. And they just started laying paperwork in front of me and said, sign here, sign here, sign here. And it's like, as a reader... I'm offended by you don't want me. I don't have time to read this. I can't read it. If I was to, if you, if you actually wanted me to read this, I would be sitting in your lobby for two and a half days. It's not huge. That's that right. like, now it's a joke. It's funny, but I just think that we need, because this is dystopian. This is, this means that we are giving away our rights and our freedoms without even knowing why or how. Or it when. seems to be such an disturbing. It seems to be an easy like fix in terms of what the the example you just gave, as in yeah. like like if we learn English, read, right? Plain English. Yeah. Exactly, it's, it's exactly what they don't. It wouldn't yeah. be beneficial to the big systems. That that's ex I like I like yeah. your answer a lot. People there. should demand that. I mean, I I, I like I, and it's this. I yeah, I could go off on this rant for a long time, but I just think we will get to a much um, you know a, a better place um, when. There's just more respect for reading. Josh, what's up? Totally. Yeah. So one of the things 
that we see today is that there's a fundamental lack of trust in how companies and people deploy technology on people. Uh, Cambridge Analytica is only two years ago at this point. It does feel like much longer than that. But as you plan to scale ReadUp, how do you plan to keep the sense of community when there are hundreds of thousands and millions of users? And how do you plan to stay transparent about your data use when you do need to make a profit in order to stay in business? Totally. Here, the, the, it's a perfect segue to that question, by the way. The, what I think needs to be the future of the web, it's not going to be that um, companies like ReadUp don't need to retain your data. The difference is that they're going to do it honestly and openly. We've actually talked about having our privacy policy, and we have the technology to you know, implement this. You must read it before you join us. You're, you, you can't be a part of this community unless you know exactly what we're taking and why, what your rights are and what our rights are. And for a while, I'm not proud to admit this, but sometimes I would just try, like, let's not talk about the read tracking. Everyone gets all you know, hot and bothered about the, are you tracking what I read? And I'm just like, when you go on the internet, yes. hundreds and hundreds of companies that are extraordinarily nefarious in their intentions are tracking you in ways that would disturb you. Like you can't even imagine it. And they're all triangulating with each other. Mm -hmm. And the purpose is to, to, you know, infiltrate your existence in ways that will ruin your life. We need your reading data anonymously to facilitate this community where we use that data to crowdsource and elevate great articles. If 50 people in one you know, day all read a long article, we all wanna know about it. <laughs> so that's why we need that information. We're not, we don't sell your data. We're not trying to, you know, there's there, advertisers. When I say that, like, they're, they're not a part of this, like, they don't even register to it. You know, like when my co-founder and I are, are meeting and talking, every single thing is in the context of creating something that's so good that you would want to pay for it and that you're willing to pay us to use the technology that we built. And we're going to be stewards of your technology. It's, for example, his sister runs a restaurant in New York, a vegan restaurant. And I just had this like shocking clarity one day when I went in, got a burger, you know, cost 10 bucks. It was amazing. And I just thought, that's the kind of business I want to build. I don't want to build a tech. I, like, I don't even get all jazzed up on tech and all that stuff. Like, I want to build a business where people, where there is a, a super fair exchange of value and you know exactly what you're getting. That means we need to educate our users and we're willing to be accountable for that education process. And then on the topic of community, question mark, man, I really don't know. I mean, I think that there are ways that we can facilitate and create that same community vibe, even if we have 20 million users who are on there every single day. Um, but it will be a challenge. I mean, and we'll, you know, we're going to have to conquer that as we go. Um, but the main thing is that reading creates that, that vibe. You know, when you share a reading experience with someone, it doesn't matter if they have dramatically different ideas. You can take like the most, you know, I hate even using political terms because they're so irrelevant, but like a far right person and a super far left person and give them both an article that's a solid quality article about something that normally would divide them. And there's tons of stuff. Um, affirmative action, birth control, 
Second Amendment, uh, like literally, like if you ask me to name the things that everyone just always disagrees on on every platform in the world, those are the things that are the best conversations on ReadUp because after two people have both read something, mm. they have this this like kind of like uh, just a natural tendency to notice where the Venn diagram overlaps oh. and not where it's apart. It's the same thing as like. You know, if you sit down with someone and before you start having a debate, talk about your kids or go for a walk around a park and then talk about what it is you need to. If you take two strangers, drop them in the pit and just give them a controversial topic, you're screwed. There's like no way that will ever work. But the reading anchors the conversation. It makes it, you know, people feel, um, you know, more honest and open. And you know, you're not going to get attacked, you know, like some wild at like outside person is not going to come in. Last thing, and then I guess we should get to some questions. We have never in the history of the com I don't know of any social platforms that have existed for as long as we have. We've never deleted a comment. We don't even have moderators. Most of my most profound reading experiences have happened outside of the classroom. And I have actually felt like I am more actively learning these last couple of years than at any other point in my life. And I've had, you know, I, I had a good education, um, but I have learned that you have to take your own education into your own hands, basically. You have to be responsible for your own learning. Um, I think that the, the question is a great one, which is how do you help students to know, not just like make them read, that doesn't do anything, you know? Like, and, and as a matter of fact, I, I know this because I was like, I don't know. I took a lot of uh, piano lessons, for example, when I was young. And it was like just one of those things that I like kind of forced myself to do. And there was a lot of pressure to do it. But it wasn't done with, you know, passion and love. It was done because like homework and homework, you know, like a, just more like a pressure filled activity. Um, so I think the, the best way to answer that question is to try to teach a love of learning and also um, put good literature into people's hands, especially kids. So if, you know, even if it's comic books or very like, you know, super simple reading or, um, you know, if people like want to read about sports or something like that, not everyone has to read really complex stuff or dense things. Um, and also not everyone has to read. I think uh, something like 10% of society has, um, you know, some form of dyslexia, whether it's mild or severe, um, but the main thing is, I believe that we can establish a love of reading and that the best way to do it is to just create the best chance of people discovering it for themselves. It's the same thing as yoga. You know, like I, I used to actually teach yoga and meditation. It's not about dragging people to yoga classes and forcing them to like torture themselves. It's more about trying to help them find a path where they can just experience it and then let the thing take over. You know, people don't need to be like, beat up with it, basically. Alexa writes, uh, what Alexa I found really is the difference in the thoughtfulness of the comments on a platform like Medium versus the ones on ReadUp. Such a drastic difference. Can you speak yeah, to that? Totally. I, I, I think I mentioned this a little bit before. And by the way, Alexa is a profoundly prolific reader on ReadUp right now. She was the first person that took the top spot from me. And I was like, wow, you know, it was <laughs> just a, a really, it, it truly, like, there have been a lot of milestones in the company's history where I was like, whoa, this thing is growing. And for a long time, I was always the number one discoverer of, of articles. And uh, when she took the top spot, I was I was not actually happy about it. I wanted to take it back over. But um, yeah, the, the comments everywhere else 
Um, quick answer to this question. It's anarchy everywhere else. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to do anything. Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Medium is the one that Alexa mentioned. Anyone can say anything they want, anywhere they want. Pure, that makes no sense. I mean, I, I like the example that I always use. Imagine if there's a big lecture hall of people and someone's speaking at the front of the room. That's the writer, you know, and there are a bunch of like readers in the audience. And then at the very end, someone just marches through the back door and shouts out a question. That's absurd. Like that, that no one would think that that's normal human behavior. And it'd be the same thing at like a dinner table or something like that. There's, there's just, there are things that exist in the real world, which are not respected or honored online because we don't have the systems in place. Software hasn't matured enough. So the idea of, we're going to look back on the last 10 years on the internet and say, it was a crazy, I mean, look what it did to the world. Look at like mm -hmm. so many obvious things. I don't even need to bring them all up, but the world is unstable right now. There's a lot of, of chaos. And a lot of that has to do with the wildness of the internet. And what we're going to find in the future is there's just going to be systems in place that prevent anyone from saying whatever they want, wherever they want. That doesn't make any sense at all. So Alexa nailed it. I mean, our, the comments on ReadUp are, we're just nicer to each other. Because that's what you do in the real world. You wouldn't walk up to someone when you're walking your dog and be like, I hate you. Like, that's just such a, <laughs> it doesn't happen. No context. Thanks. Yeah, it, it really doesn't happen. <laughs> Alexa asks, uh, says again, Jamie made an observation about the speed of creating content for journalists versus social media users. Where does the line get drawn between social media content and true, in quotes, journalism? Isn't it yeah. all news? This is, I, I really feel strongly about this. And like I said, it's, uh, it's something that I'm just trying to figure out now. And Jamie, I would love to know what you think about this. Like, how can we possibly think that there's a difference between, and again, the, the, Buckets are basically like news, journalism, social media. Like, I can't see a distinction between them. So I think I actually, I do speak to this a lot. I mean, this is my, my research or my, my actual degrees in uh, media archaeology and cultural and media studies. So as a media archaeologist, my goal is to look at media in a very long scale, something that goes back to its geological perspectives. Like literally when your phone is made up of my, minerals that are mined from the labor of people that are obviously poorly treated all the way to what does it do when we archive social media into the future? Like what will the present moment look like a thousand years from now and how do we yeah. start contextually? And so when I, what I think your comment before is something that I have to spend more time thinking about, which is the idea of platform flatness. Like when you said that a photograph of food is like in the same platform in the same environment as a news article and in that environment, does it change its contextual value? And that is something that I'm always considering at any given time. And that's, to me, the only difference that would be on a platform would be engaging with the click, so to speak. So you with a picture of like food, there's it's designed, like platforms are designed for, to me, for two purposes. One for FOMO, it's designed to cause people to want to be wherever you are doing your thing. So it creates a competition right off the bat, Yeah, like right there. But second, it's also designed that if you are to go further, then that's the only part you become the outsider because you're getting a perspective that no one else can. And then you enter a different community yeah. uh, communication that happens when you're now in it. And that's what causes like the channel, so to speak, like the, the uh, genres of Twitter that are out there. 
they're the deeper communities that succeed beyond the way that platforms actually want them to operate. But then I, of course, have my dystopian outcome of that, that that's just one step before commodification. So it's like, then there's going to be some way of making that monetizable, so on and so forth. Yeah. So when I see like, uh, personally, there was this there was this era of minimalism that I really got into where and yeah. read up fits in this, which is that the article itself is clear. It doesn't have any uh, ads or anything. It strips down the text, yeah, so just yeah. like vertical. Yeah. And at first, to be very honest with you, at first I was my body like didn't my mind didn't react well to it. I was like, where's all the stuff? Totally. And, then, and then as I was going through it, I was like, this is what we have. This is our fight. We have yeah. to treat the platforms as distinct. In that way. And I thought that was like such a, you almost have to like break an old habit of reading the internet. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, um, I don't think there's any difference. I re I don't think, I don't think we can, I think the era of us being able to distinguish between, and, and by the way, I, I do believe that like brands like the New York times and the wall street journal, when they connect their brand to a piece of content that impacts it, that changes it for sure. Mm -hmm. I also believe that words have meaning and the way that they are interpreted by the public has meaning. So if I go to a cafe and say, I saw something on social media, or if I say, did you catch that piece of news? It will resonate differently. And so in that way, they're different. But I'm saying that practically speaking, there, there, is, um, there are unified global platforms in which information moves. Mm -hmm. Here's why I'm freaked out though. There's not a distinction right now. And most people get, uh, and I do too, everyone does between information and entertainment. And that's a really important mm -hmm. thing. So on the one hand, I think that news, journalism, social media are one, they are all social media. Mm -hmm. um, each one of those things by definition, contains information and entertainment. There's, there's, there's nothing that is fully entertainment or fully information. All things are both of them. Yeah. However, some things are highly informative. So mm -hmm. for example, um, you know, if you read um, a long form piece in Foreign Affairs magazine um, about North Korea, and it's like, you know, and you read it with a highlighter and a pen and you go through it and maybe it's not super entertaining, but you're like, you know, that's it. That's heavy on the information. Uh, the Daily Show might do a sketch about North Korea and it might have information in it, but that's entertainment. Those are two, you know, they're, well, they both have. I mean, where you're going with this is like the ongoing media literacy debate that's been. Uh, about consequences and asking and access that's been quite that would this the, to me this will be the discussion we'll be having for years long what i mean by years is like things we'll look back at as scholars that we do research on what this looks like from an archivable standpoint so i, I agree with you wholeheartedly let's see uh, another question we have two more uh kaylee asks what advice do you have for people that are struggling to get back into the groove of reading because of the pandemic and the world distractions this is a, a phenomenal question that's very timely to people's feelings right now oh completely i mean I, the question for me is like how to be normal and okay not normal how to like emotionally survive <laughs> for real I, I i i have to remember to not say this uh 
tongue in cheek or while laughing or smiling a few times in the last week, friends have like reached out to me and been like, how are you doing? Or, or is everything okay? And I have to just be like, no, mm-hmm. let the silence go for a while. Like, are you okay? The world is a frightening, crazy, lunatic place right now. So even thinking about like focusing on reading sometimes feels absurd. I'm literally trying to like do the laundry, take care of the, like, just be like sleep. If you don't sleep at night, I, I'm like, all of these things are hard for me and for lots of, for everyone right now. It's a crazy, crazy thing that we're living through. Um, reading is an exceptional, tried and true, safe, um, reliable, always there for you activity. It's it's just like a thing that can be instead of a task or a chore. Um, I mean, just read the like the thing that you know you love. If it's just like flipping through photos in Self Magazine or whatever, like I, I'm like really like feeling like we don't have to beat ourselves up right now about like reading like maniacs. Um, but I have noticed personally that there is a, um, it's really direct by the way. On ReadUp, we actually track your st- your reading stats. So I can look back at the last week and I can be like, I read a lot on Thursday. Wednesday was an off day. I didn't read anything. You know, Tuesday and Monday, I skimmed a lot. I didn't finish anything. It literally tracks with my emotions. Like when I have a day where I'm reading, when I get like two or three great articles in, it's a day that I feel better. Uh, That might not be a universal experience, by the way. Um, The other thing is just steer clear of COVID writing. I mean, for real, like don't read that stuff if it's not making you feel good. This is what I mean about getting sucked into the everyday stuff. Um, a kind of personal story. I, I steered clear of writing about coronavirus for a long time. There was one article that became article of the day on ReadUp. Um, and it was the, it was in the Atlantic. This was a long time, like beginning of February. It was, everyone's likely to get the coronavirus. And I remember reading it and being like, feeling the same way that I feel about all reading, which is, when I read the thing, having the information feels good. And I'm like, okay with it. So after that point, I was like, I know what's going on. I'm, I'm like aware of this situation. I'm going to now not look at it anymore for a, a while. Um, and then the wave came and it was intense. It was like, re- and I was in San Francisco at the time. And it was like, it felt like, like, I just remember going to my computer and just being like, I can't figure this out. And this is really dystopian stuff of being alive in the world, a, a media executive. I mean, talk about how like embarrassing this is for me. Like literally just being like, I don't under, no one knows what's going on. Politicians mm-hmm. don't know. Policymakers don't know. Scientists don't know. Like it's just something that is full of question marks. And the answer, is, part of the answer is no one to plug in connect with it, know when to just not look at it. Um, and unfortunately, I, I, this is like a real kind of like wild thing, but I don't think it's possible to use social media if you don't want to see it, you know, unless you yeah. have like a specific technical capabilities, but that's not fair, you know, like asking yeah. people to like download a plugin so you can like remove keywords. Yeah. Like yeah, <laughs> Think about what that means though. I mean, if people are getting like legitimately bad information when they go on social media platforms, wrong, bad, hurtful, harmful stuff that makes you depressed and sad and lonely and afraid and, and shaking with sweat in the middle of the night. And 
these are the same platforms that we use to connect with our family. Yeah. Like, what what do we do about that? That's like that is the highest level. It's it's no longer okay to describe what's happening right now as like like dystopia or or using dystopia as a metaphor. It, this is a dysto- This is yeah. these are dystopian technologies that we are stuck to, um, and and they're a reality of our everyday lives. Yeah. Last, last question. Thank you. Uh, what is what's your vision in regards to keeping a nice community once it really starts taking off? Yeah, totally. Um, I'm really, really optimistic that reading makes us the best people that we can be. I and I don't that that's the thing. Like I don't feel like we need to be like super smart about it. As silly as that sounds, I just think that we need to stick to our values, stick to our principles, keep the technology, um, you know, make sure that we're always like ahead of, you know, what's coming basically. Um, But uh, I know it sounds crazy, but I think that the platform as it currently exists with millions of people on it would, would work. I I mean, right now, everything else is pure anarchy and and everything else doesn't work. But, um, you know, I, I really feel strongly that, Nice is just built into reading. Uh, maybe that's a cop out, and and I'm, I'll like watch this video five years from now and be like, wow, I was so wrong about that. Like I had no idea what was coming up ahead. Um, but uh, you tell me, is that a is that a cop out of an answer? No, like, I think if, that's, if, I, if we force people to you. read things before they share with each other, um, you know. I think that I agree with that completely. And that's, but that I think I might come from a biased standpoint of being a reader forever, but I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. And that's something that I push forward into the, the curriculum and my students and my friends. And I think that's an outcome that comes from reading that gives a positive benefits to all different types of things. So yeah. I thank you so much for being here. Yeah. I really want to, I, I really do appreciate your time and like, yeah, your, cool. This is reading. Fun. We really want to support you. Uh, do you have any, uh, Plugs you want to say? Yeah, I was just going to say, now I get to make my pitch finally, right? Um, everyone who's listening to this, I have no idea if it's five people or I, I'm like just looking at myself right now. Um, get on ReadUp. It's super cool. And also, um, it really is a small and intimate community right now. Actually, Jamie and Josh know, like when you jump in there, we're all just hanging out like as though we're in a room. Um, there's a Chrome extension and a Firefox extension. So if you prefer to read on your computer, Perfect way to get started, readup.com will you know, send you through the funnel. Um, and if you have an iOS device, um, you can read on your iPhone or iPad. No Android yet, um, but we'll be there soon. And um, yeah, specifically iPad's wonderful because uh, it's just a, it's a wonderful reading experience. And uh, the best way to get started, by the way, um, is to jump into something beefy and long. And it's gonna be, it's not always easy um, but go for it and get in there. Thank you for listening to the Digital Void podcast. For more information about Digital Void, including our upcoming salons, podcasts, and workshops, make sure to visit us at digitalvoid.media. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast provider. Make sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at digivoidmedia at gmail.com to let us know about collaborations, sponsorships, and feedback.